today on Ag News Daily. And the market, as you said, is starting to pay attention to it. Corn has rallied to new contract highs. I think beans have now taken over the leadership role of this rally. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and Market Monday episode here on the Ag News Daily podcast. And also, National Vegetable Day. This is, of course, Delaney Howell, joined by my co-host, Mike Pearson. Mike, in honor of National Vegetable Day, please share with us, what is your favorite vegetable? Well, Delaney, my favorite vegetable, of course, is any vegetable that has been eaten by a steer and subsequently (laughs) turned into a ribeye. But, real talk, I gotta go with broccoli. It's versatile. Oh, okay, yep. I, I like to steam mine mm-hmm. with a little bit of lemon juice and A1 mm-hmm. drizzled over the top and it's savory, it's a little tangy it's got high fiber which you don't care about yet. No, I, I'm starting it, to care about, yeah, unfortunately you know, welcome, welcome to adulthood yeah. fiber content matters Yeah, because regularity is a goal yeah, I know I would say broccoli is probably at the top of my list too either broccoli or corn but you know they always say like corn isn't really that healthy of a vegetable for you Oh, sure it is. It's got all kinds of things. I think it's, I think it's high in carbs or something. Like I don't know. Sure, a lot I was, of starch. That's why it makes yeah. great ethanol. Right, a lot of starch. So maybe not the best for um, the human digestion system, but uh, definitely one of my favorites. You know, but I think if you put enough butter and salt on it, <laughs> that makes it healthy. I know, but you know what is a little concerning to me this year about corn. What's that, Delaney? Well, usually we have sweet corn around the 4th of July, and I'm honestly a little nervous we're not going to get it this year. Homegrown sweet corn. Right, meat. yeah. Gotcha. How? Uh, when did the sweet corn patch finally get planted? No, I'm not saying we, not our sweet corn. I'm just saying, like, Des Moines has a lot of, like, there's some suburbs oh, outside of Des Moines that they always have. fine sweet corn. You bet. Yeah. I'm just nervous. Are we going to have sweet corn by 4th of July this year? Yeah. Oh, yeah. There, there were some folks who were able to get in early enough. And, you know, you think about people who plant sweet corn. They're not going in there with a quad track and a 48-row planter. <laughs> right. I mean, you can get in there with a 40-20 with a and a 6-row and get a decent amount of sweet corn planted. Yeah, but they're also having weather issues, I'm assuming, too, So or have had weather well, issues. Yeah. So Yeah, I'm just saying they could maybe get into the field before it was more fit than mm. some other commodity producers. Okay, you've at least set that, that worry aside for me then. Well, it's always good to be worried. What we might see, though, is rationing of sweet corn based on how do we ration things in a free market, Delaney? Price. Price, exactly. So we could see higher prices for Mm. sweet corn as we get into the 4th of July season. Listeners, be prepared for that. Hmm. Okay. That's a little disappointing. Well, you know, at the end of the day, it's still a a great deal, and there's nothing better than wrapping it in a little foil, throwing it on the grill next to Mm -hmm. some ribeyes, next to some tomahawk chops, and just going to town on it. That's seriously my favorite meal is a good steak and sweet corn. That's all I need. See, and I love sweet corn. I'm with you 100%, but to me... The perfect meal is a baked potato with a medium rare steak with some broccoli. <laughs> that is like right. if I were on death row yeah. or, you know, eventually when I'm on death row or on <laughs> death door anyway, that is going to be my final meal. That's fair. I would totally take that. A glass of, of whole milk. Well, chocolate whole milk, but yeah. Okay. All right. Obviously. I'd, I'd take that. Because I drink milk. I don't drink white water, Delaney. I'd take that as my last meal. 
Darn right you would. Mm-hmm. We're Americans. That's right. America. America. Hashtag America. Uh-huh. Um, what news do you have for us, though, Delaney, besides uh, the importance of staying regular? Uh, yeah, great. Thanks for that one. Well, uh, since we're talking about the corn industry and ethanol and all that stuff, we saw a new bipartisan Senate bill uh, presented on, I think, Friday afternoon is when the bill was actually presented, which would change the way that the EPA grants waivers for the renewable fuel standards. So, of course, those small refinery exemption waivers have been a big point of contention, but this bill sets an application deadline for the waivers uh, for June 1st each year, and it also requires the EPA to reveal the name of those applicants for the program, which, of course, is something that the oil industry strongly opposes And it also prevents applicants from claiming any of their information is confidential. So it would essentially present this entire waiver process to the public. Hmm. You know, that seems to be an interesting compromise. I've got a feeling that when this bill, if it actually gets taken seriously, they'll probably allow some things to remain confidential. I'm guessing that's where they will come up with a compromise. But the fact is, if they're being exempted from laws of the United States of America, we should know who it is. I think that's a perfectly fair uh, thing to have public. I do too. But the oil people do not. Well, no, of course not. And, you know, they're going to fight for their side and we got to fight for uh, for the corn side, I suppose. Yep, that's right. Interesting. Well, we've got some news here that really drove a lot of headlines at the tail end of last week. We didn't cover it on Monday because I was just kind of starting to dig into it. Excuse me, on Friday, I was just starting to kind of dig into it. But we have had a conversation on Tech Tuesday with a company called Indigo Agriculture. Basically, their idea is they're going to create markets for specialty crops or or niche crops, so to speak, help farmers grow them and harvest them. And they have raised a ton of money from venture capital. And now they're going out and they have launched a new initiative called the TerraTon Initiative. And what they want to do is they want to accelerate carbon sequestration hmm. in production agriculture. And they want to, uh, they call it the TerraTon because they want to do something with a ton of, of carbon. Basically, they're, yeah, they want to sequester a million tons of carbon dioxide in soils. Um, they're they're going to create a carbon market, basically a credit system to try and help pay farmers to do this. It's very interesting. I'm still learning all the details of it, but it's something that I think we'll have to have Indigo Ag back on again and to explain this program in more details. So essentially, carbon sequestering is better for the environment too, right? Right, right. The idea is agriculture is a phenomenal uh, carbon sink. We can take carbon out of the air, you know, plants breathing in carbon dioxide, you know, they convert it into carbon, which they hold in their stock, which we then, you know, put back into the soil. So they want to find ways to create a market for that carbon that is coming out of the air. And basically what's going to happen in their idea is let's say I run a grocery store in a fancy New York city neighborhood Mm -hmm. and I've got consumers that really care about the environment. Well, I need to sell them products that are, quote unquote, carbon neutral. Right. Well, nothing's carbon neutral. Everything requires transportation. Everything requires processing, blah, blah, blah. So we're going to use carbon to make the thing that we're selling. 
So the idea is me as the grocery store owner can purchase carbon credits from farmers and the farmers will get X number of dollars, whatever this is determined a ton of carbon is worth. And in exchange, we're going to prove that we're taking carbon out of the air and safely putting it back into the soil. So the idea is there will be this market that develops um, and farmers will get a piece, you know, do-gooders on the environmental side will get to feel good that mm -hmm. they're helping the environment or whatever. And at the end of the day, this could be a great way to transfer some wealth from New York City, Chicago, Miami, San Francisco to the heartland. So it's a very interesting initiative. Um, I, I just am still learning all the details, and I think we'll have to have them come on and uh, explain it in a little more detail. Okay, that sounds like that will be a good Tech Tuesday interview. Absolutely. Well, in other news here, we've uh, seen Bayer splash the headlines talking about some new sustainability measures that they are working on as a company, especially in lieu here of all the recent lawsuits that they've been facing because of their Roundup Ready product, which of course they kind of are in charge of now that Monsanto has gone away. But they are planning to reduce their ecological footprint by 30% by 2030 under their new sustainability initiative, which was announced on Friday. As part of this initiative, they are looking to spend almost $6 billion over the next decade to look at new ways to combat weeds as they prepare for the possibility that glyphosate will be banned from the EU by the end of 2020, which is really pretty pretty soon if you think about it here. They said while glyphosate will continue to play an important role in agriculture and in their portfolio, the company is committed to offering more choices to growers and the... Uh, EU license for glyphosate ends in December of 2020. Ah. So that's why they are looking here at some of their other options. You know, it's interesting. Um, you look at how popular misconceptions of pesticides and herbicides have have really harmed people around the world. And I think the, the greatest example of popular misconception that has killed people quite literally was uh, Rachel Carson's book, Silent Spring, back in mm. 1962 that kind of launched the uh, the environmental movement as we know it today. That got DDT banned, which was the oh, most effective, yes. okay. uh, uh, what do you call the mosquitoes? It was the most effective mosquito killer. Yeah. And malaria kills millions of people in the developing world every single year. And, uh, you know, turns out DDT doesn't do half the things that uh, that book claimed or that people claimed that that book claimed. And now we've got these lawsuits launching the same kind of anti-science war on glyphosate and uh, growers, homeowners, golf courses, you know, developers, all going to lose a very non-toxic uh, pesticide option because of a few misguided jurors in uh, California. It's just, it's heartbreaking. It is. So that's a tool we might see disappear in the EU as well. Yes, yes. Well, you know, they're, they're just building on the fear that's, that's generated from these uh, billion-dollar-plus uh, legal settlements. Yeah. Uh, it's so frustrating. It is. Well, we've got some comments that are coming out of Washington, D.C. today, in fact. There is a hearing going on in D.C. Uh, it's the first of seven days of hearings that are being held by the USTR, the U.S. Trade Rep, um, uh, Robert Lighthizer's office. Basically, they're having these hearings to decide what's going to happen 
if we put tariffs on another $300 billion worth of Chinese imports. So far, and remember today's just day one, all of the companies who have been testifying have said that they have a few alternatives other than China for sourcing goods, so they will see costs rise. And so far, we're looking at clothing, electronics, and mainly consumer goods um, that have testified so far. Uh, they say raising, uh, sourcing these products from other countries are going to raise costs more than the 25% tariffs, which means they're going to end up buying from China anyway and just, you know, paying the tariff. And um, it is going to be, it's going to be interesting. Here was a comment that was made that I thought was uh, fascinating, I suppose. Um, there's a company called Regalo International. They're uh, Minnesota-based. They make uh, Regalo, uh, I'm guessing a lot of our listeners who are parents have heard of them. They make babies, uh, baby gates, booster seats, portable play yards, basically all things for kids. And um, they use predominantly Chinese-made steel, and they say that there is no country manufacturing metal baby gates outside of China. Okay. None at I all? I thought that was interesting. None at all. Apparently, according to this guy, this Mark Flannery, the president of Regalo International, the only place that makes baby metal baby gates is China. That seems very bizarre. That's kind of what I thought, but it must be a must be a low margin product that uh, needs low labor. Maybe it's a labor intense thing. I don't know. I just thought that was that was interesting. Hmm. Okay. Interesting indeed. Yeah. Well. I think the only other piece of news I have to share with our listeners today, because I know we've got some dairy folks that do tune into the podcast, is we will see the first big program rollout for the 2018 Farm Bill starting today with, you can now sign up for the Dairy Margin Coverage Program, and that will continue until September 20th. But according to the Farm Service Agency Administrator Richard Fordyce, he said that he's expecting to see a significant increase in the dairy margin coverage program, which is, of course, replacing the MPP program. And he said he expects about half of U.S. dairy farmers to re-enroll this year in the new program as opposed to the old margin protection program because of the new rates here. We're seeing $9.50 per hundred weight coverage level which is uh, significantly higher, I believe, than we saw with the margin protection program. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully, hopefully, listeners, if you are signing up for that program, let us know how it goes. Mm. We know it is just getting rolled out today, but if you are a dairy producer, <clears throat> Gary Rasmussen, I'm talking to you, um, <laughs> let us know. If you're getting in there, uh, getting with your FSA officer, um, l let us know. We want to know what the process is like, how it's working. You know, are there any concerns we need to take to our good friend, Undersecretary Bill Norvey? Yes. Good call. Yeah, you know, we want to be an advocate here on the program, Delaney. That's what we're all about. I know. I agree. Fighting for our farmer listeners. We can't pay you to listen to this podcast, but by golly, if we can help you solve a problem, that's what we want to do. <laughs> that's nice. Tell your friends. Download us every day. Send your advertising dollars our way. We want to hear from you. There we go. We appreciate that, too. Absolutely. I've just got one other quick piece of news. And I talked last week about the announcement from the uh, Association of Equipment Manufacturers. They released their flash sales, you know, saw that tractors, uh, tractor sales were up a little bit, 1.6%. Uh, Combine sales were down 13%. So that has them a little nervous. 
But they, they issued a statement that they said what they're really concerned about is the ongoing trade war. Mm. And specifically, now that we've solved this uh, steel and aluminum deal with Canada, they're really pushing to get USMCA signed so we can stay on a solid footing with our friends to the north. Sales of equipment in Canada saw major decreases. Excuse me. The, the rest of the categories, um, basically the big categories, were down 20% in Canada for the mid-range 40 to 100 horsepower tractors. And four-wheel drive tractor sales were down 56% in Canada in the month of May. So that's got them very, very concerned about how things might look, and they want to make sure that we've got a, a quality trade agreement in place so our friends the North can keep buying new iron. Okay, that uh, definitely something to continue to watch here as we see all that kind of unravel, and hopefully, I don't know, I don't really know where we're at in the process with UMCA at this point, to be honest with you. We're just, we're kind of in a holding pattern. Uh, now we're waiting on legislators in all three countries, the U.S., Canada, and Mexico, to put it to a vote and decide whether or not they want to participate. And Democrats in the U.S. are, uh, are you know, not thrilled. They don't want to hand a victory to Trump. Although uh, former U.S. Secretary of Agriculture, current head of the Dairy Export mm -hmm. Council, Tom Vilsack, said, look, this passing USMCA isn't a victory for Trump. It's a victory for America. It's specifically a victory for American farmers. Hopefully, him being a powerful figure inside the Democratic Party, a past service guy in a Democratic administration, maybe he can help get this ball across the finish line before we end up uh, pushing the nuclear button and jettisoning NAFTA, which would be tough. It would be very tough. Yes, ma'am. Well, Delaney, what other news do you have for us today? I think I'm out. Why don't we uh, jump over into the commodity markets? Let's do it. And folks, our markets are brought to us by our friends at the Zaner Group. Remember, it's still a volatile marketing year. We've got prices up. We've got prices down. Put a plan in place. Use a professional to stick to that plan and to manage that marketing risk. You can do that with our friends at Zaner. Give them a call at 312-277-0050 or visit them on the web at Zaner, Z-A-N-E-R.com and tell them you heard it on Ag News Daily. In the corn market today, we've got green all down the screen. September corn was up three and a quarter at 461 and a half. December up a nickel. Finished the day at 468 and a half. Soybeans were the big runner. We're going to talk in our hashtag market Monday discussion about exactly why. But the July contract was up 16 cents at 912 and three quarters, with November new crop also up 16 to close the day at 939 and a half. Chicago wheat also in the green. The September was up three quarters of a cent, finished at 542 and three quarters. December up three quarters of a penny as well to close at 554 even. Looking over at the world of livestock, everybody caught a bid today. August live cattle up $1.35 at 105.62.50. October up $1.22 and a half, finished at 106.70. In feeder cattle, the August was up $1.40, finished at 136.92 and a half. September up 137.50 closed the day at 137.17 and a half. In lean hogs, the August was up $1.62.50, finished at 82.25. The October up $1.67.5 to close at 76.77.50. Jumping over to the dairy industry, class three milk was the only sector that saw red today. June class three milk was off three cents at 16.28, with the July down a nickel. 
finished at 1680. Without further ado, let's jump over to our hashtag Market Monday discussion with our friend Brian Hoops for Midwest Market Solutions. Well, for today's hashtag Market Monday conversation, we've got Brian Hoops of Midwest Market Solutions on the line with us today. And Brian, as I understand it, you are you've been doing a little traveling, getting out and seeing some of the country. Tell us what are you seeing today and over the past couple of days have you been seeing? Yeah, uh, I did do some traveling from our home office down in Springfield, Missouri. It's about a 450 mile drive up to Storm Lake, Iowa, where we have another office. And uh, the crops were kind of shocking to me. I had made this travel back in early part of May and crops look real good from Kansas City down to Clinton. They had been planted and uh, were up and, and growing. But since that time, there's been a lot of flooding across portions of Missouri. And those crops have been just literally destroyed on my travels. Um, some of the corn that did make it was yellow and only about knee high, maybe waist high, but uh, a lot of yellow color. And there was a lot of crop that had just not survived at all. They've been flooded out and were forced to either try and replant um, either corn or soybeans, but uh, some of it has not been planted yet. And there's some that's uh, so flooded that won't be uh, planted at all. In fact, as things I moved north from Kansas City up to the Iowa border, it, it did get a little bit better and then into Iowa even better. The crop is, is way behind normal. Um, for this time of year, you know, you should have uh, chest high corn and, and this year it, it, it's knee high. It's uh, pretty lucky uh, at this point. So there's a lot of spots in fields that have been drowned out, too much rain and, and some flooding in, in certain areas. But uh, where the crop is up and growing, it, it does look uh, pretty decent, but just as several weeks behind normal pace. You know, Brian, it's interesting. I had the chance to cruise over to Chicago this weekend, and I was there about two weeks ago. And in those two weeks, a lot of those central Illinois farmers were able to get some of the fields planted. I saw a lot less bare ground on this trip than I did before. But like you say, I mean, here we are, June 17th, and the corn I saw was ankle high at best across much of uh, north central Illinois. And, you know, very few soybeans in the field as of yet. I mean, the delay this year is absolutely stupendous. And it certainly seems as though the market is really paying attention to it right now. Right. You know, we, we've had years where certain areas have had too much rain and have had delays, but this is almost unprecedented where you have just across the entire Midwest, the key growing areas have all been flooded out or have had major delays. The only area that has really been dry is parts of North Dakota where they've been on pace as far as their uh, spring wheat, planting corn and soybeans plantings, um, but they are forecast to get some rains, but it's just all across uh, the upper Midwest that is this far behind. And the market, as, as you said, is starting to pay attention to it. Corn has rallied to new contract highs. I think beans have now taken over the leadership role of this rally. Um, there's a lot of acres to be seeded yet of the soybean market and this crop. We, we can absorb some yield loss, but we do have to have the acres planted so that uh, you know, we kind of keep our ending stocks either where they're at or, or don't get to, uh, too tight. And soybeans are starting to put a premium in to encourage farmers now that are going through a period where uh, they have to make that decision where the plant soybeans or maybe take pre-plant plant before the end of June to go ahead and encourage soybean planting, similar to what corn market did in early part of June, encourage those farmers to get out there and plant, even though it was the conditions were far from ideal. Brian, I want to talk about the soybean story here for just a little bit. We, uh, of course, hear time and time again this uh, 1 billion bushel carryover, but 
walk us through the scenario now. Are we at a point where we start to eat into some of those stocks because of potential yield loss and acre loss here in the soybean markets? And, and if so, how much premium can we build into the markets with this news? Yeah, those are good questions. You know, we can absorb a lot more uh, yield loss in soybeans than what we can in corn. Our balance sheet changes dramatically in the corn market when you take an estimated 8 million acres out of corn planting because of prevent plant. And when we start taking yield loss away, it really shuffles this uh, balance sheet a, a great deal. And it's been telling customers if there's ever a year where you're going to see corn go back above $5 or maybe even higher, this is a year because you're going to lose a lot of acres to prevent plant and you're seeing yield losses uh, that are going to be significantly affected this year. Soybeans, it doesn't look like we're going to lose a lot of soybean acres. We might lose some just because of some flooding. Beans will probably see more of a yield drag because we are planting it later. This is going to be a year where we see a lot of uh, late planted soybeans similar to what a double crop soybean would, would yield. So we should see yields come down in subsequent USDA reports. I think if we did November beans in that 965 to 970 area, that's a pretty strong resistance area that, that will probably cap uh, a rally until we know more about the size of this uh, crop that we're trying to grow. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, Brian. So I guess end of June is really when you're thinking we'll know here on soybean acres. We've got the crop progress plant crop planting progress report coming out later this afternoon. What are you seeing? What are you expecting to see there? Do you think that we're going to get these, I think, what is it, 90 million or 92 million acres of corn? Or what are you thinking we're seeing for final corn planting and soybean planted numbers? We're probably pretty close to getting all the corn planted that we're going to. You know, the report probably going to say something like 95, 96% of the crop nationwide has been planted. So there isn't a, a great deal of amount of corn that needs to go into the ground yet. What What's done is done, and, and we probably won't see a, a significant increase uh, any further. The soybeans are only probably going to be close to 80% planted nationwide. There's a lot of winter wheat crop that needs to be harvested so we can double crop soybeans behind it. Um, that harvest base looks to be rather slow this year, and that, that's slowing the soybean seeding. So the next 10 to 15% of the soybean crop to get in the ground is probably going to be fairly slow, especially with the wet weather forecast we have this week for Illinois and, and Missouri and Indiana, those areas. In fact, it's raining in Iowa now, so any soybeans that need to be planted are probably going to have to wait at least a couple of days. And, um, you know, I think that's why soybeans should take that leadership role. It's going to encourage farmers to plant a few extra soybeans or, or wait a few extra days if they have to, to, to plant soybeans rather than take the prevent plant option. You mentioned now they're going to see significant delays yet again. How should growers be managing their physical sales, A, given that it's a rally, B, given that we don't know what yields are going to turn into, and C, not knowing if we're going to get all our projected bean acres in the ground or not on each individual operation? How are you managing the physical in this, uh, this challenging spring? Yeah, you know, I, I think it's, there's been a little bit, little bit different marketing strategies for corn and soybeans. The corn market, um, you know, if you believe that adage that the, a, a big crop has a short tail, um, you know, that means that this crop that we're going to produce is going to be fairly small. Uh, USDA told us in the June supply and demand report that we are not going to be able to produce enough corn this year to meet our expected demand. And so if that happens, um, we're going to have a very long marketing year. 
I think if producers have made aggressive sales of corn, you need to look at re-ownership strategies with those, maybe some option strategies, try and get, uh, get them re-owned if possible. And uh, there's going to be some really tight basis levels throughout the winter months. And so even if you have to make sales at harvest, find a tight basis to do that, and then look to re-own it into the spring time frame. I, I firmly believe the corn market's going to have to rally by next spring to buy a few acres back to rebuild our ending stocks. Question will be is how high do we have to rally and how many acres do we need to buy? So that uh, will be remains to be seen. But maintaining ownership is going to be a real key, I think, for this marking year, especially for corn. A little bit less so for soybeans. You know, we could see you know some significant upside potential in soybeans uh, going forward if uh, we don't grow a very good crop. Probably some decent downside potential if we do grow a big crop. Um, there's a lot of variables in this market here, but uh, using option strategies is certainly going to be, uh, I think, to producers' advantage this marketing year. Brian, at this point in the game, how sold would you be on new crop corn? Because, of course, when guys hear that a five is coming on the pipeline, they maybe aren't so eager to sell off their, their corn crop. Yeah, you know, we have really not rewarded this rally hardly at all, maybe just a 5% rally. Um, you know, if if you're looking at new crop corn prices, it's well above $4 now in almost every location. And it gets pretty tempting to go ahead and make that sale. I do think if you do that, you want to be looking at opportunities to reown it, whether you do that now during the growing season or you wait till harvest lows. If there is such a thing this year, harvest lows and, and buy your crop back. But there could be some really explosive marketing opportunities this year. So I, I just wouldn't be too aggressively sold. I think a producer is better off using these option strategies to give yourself some downside protection and let the upside potential uh, move higher here, especially if you're in an area that uh, you don't know if you would be able to fulfill contracts. There was a lot of uh, producers this winter who signed contracts with some of these big elevators, took a premium, and then pledged an equal amount of bushels to be sold if prices ever rallied to a, a price level higher this summer. And we've approached those price levels. So now they're kind of scrambling for some sort of protection, either from the long physical commodity or, or on the board. And, uh, you know, you don't want to get in that type of situation where you're making a, a agreement to deliver so many bushels and then you're not able to produce that. So one way or another, I think you're better off going through the options market and uh, maintaining some ownership strategies. Brian, you know, we're talking about higher prices. And one segment of the market that certainly caught a bid today is the livestock sector. We've got both fat cattle and feeders up a dollar plus. We've got lean hogs up a dollar fifty, dollar seventy, dollar sixty, two and a half plus. Bring us up to speed. What's causing us to go from those sell-offs early this morning to the uh, the positive we're seeing today? Yeah, you know, I think there's uh, you know bottom trying to form in this cattle market. You know, and then when you have high corn prices like this, initially it does cause some pressure against live cattle and feeder cattle. Producers will be more apt to go ahead and make aggressive forward sales, not to feed the animals to uh, heavier weights because of the increased feed cost. But what that does is it puts more pressure on the front month supply, but those lower weights eventually take pressure off of the back month supply and you've got less tonnage hitting the market that usually relates to higher prices down the road. And so I think the market is anticipating we've made summer lows in this cattle market. We may try and rally from here and uh, you won't have confirmation of that until you rally probably a couple more dollars, but at least the cash markets are going to try and stabilize. 
The futures markets have already discounted lower prices of the cash markets into the summer, and now we're looking at uh, stronger growing drilling seasons into the summer months as we get to some warmer temperatures. And so a lot of this trade here, I think, feels like we've put our, our weakness in or our downside risk in the cattle market for now, and we may see higher prices coming forward. All right. Well, I'm sure our livestock producing listeners enjoy hearing that news. Brian, if folks want to get more news or information from you, how can they do so? Yeah, you can reach out to me. My direct number is 417-501-5132, or you can go to our website, MidwestMarketSolutions.com. We have uh, 12 different offices around the Midwest for all of your listeners. All right. Brian Hoops of Midwest Market Solutions, thanks so much for breaking down the markets for us today. Thank you. Appreciate being on. Well, huge thanks again to Brian taking time out of his uh, workcation to talk to us a little bit. Always appreciate his insight. Delaney, if listeners want other insight on the world of agriculture, a great place to do that is the Ag News Daily Podcast. Where can they go to listen to past episodes? Oh, yeah, absolutely. If you want to listen to us on your workcation, we would certainly appreciate that. You can catch us on most any podcast directory, or you can head to our website, globalagnetwork.com slash agnewsdaily, and you can check out our latest post about our summer intern, Madison Honkamp, who will not be joining us this week. She's on, I think she's a camp counselor this week, but do check out that episode, as well as all the other great podcasts that are part of the Global Ag Network. Mike, if they want to interact with us on social media, how can they do so? Well, they need to right now open up their Twitter app and or Facebook app. Type in at Ag News Daily in the search bar. That will take them right to us. We want to hear from you. Shoot us some pics. How are fields looking in your part of the world? How are pen conditions where you're at? What are you seeing on the dairy side? We want to hear from our listeners. We know you're all around the country, all around the world. Get in touch with us. Let us know what stories we need to be covering. With that, Delaney, should we let the people go? Let's let them go. 